Please turn with me to the book of Zechariah, chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. You can also follow along on page 7 of your bulletin. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. The Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord, who has chosen Jerusalem, rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. The angel said to those who were standing before him, Take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, See, I have taken away your sin, and I will put rich garments on you. Then I said, Put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him while the angel of the Lord stood by. This is the word of the Lord. This passage is one of several visions explained in the book of Zechariah. And, and this one depicts a trial. Why is it important? It's because, you know, after 10 years of being a pastor here at Metro, more so than temptation, accusation, guilt, I see as the number one problem among people here in our church. I'm going to give you an example. There are a lot of people, before coming back to the church, they've given up their sexual purity. And the thing about sexual purity is that once you give it up, it's like, well, what's the point of trying to preserve it now? I mean, it's already done. I've already lost it. And so you kind of live in this, this uh, world that's really driven by guilt, really driven by shame. And so you've given up on yourself. You've given up on your relationship with God. You've given up on the church. You've given up on everything. You're dealing with accusation. You're dealing with guilt. So there are three things we're going to look at today. One, our inner problem with guilt. Two, the deeper problem of guilt. And lastly, our solution, the solution for our guilt. The inner problem, the deeper problem, and then the solution. Pretty simple, right? We're going to look at this right now. First, we're going to look at the inner problem. Verse 1, uh, you have Satan. He's on one side, and he's accusing Joshua, the high priest, before God, before the judge. And remember, the high priest always represents the people of God. But in verse 3, he's dressed in filthy clothes before God. It's like a metaphor. In other words, the Ze Zechariah, the prophet, he's saying, this represents us before the people of God. Uh, it represents us as a people of God. Uh, to be dressed in filthy clothes, it means that we're unacceptable to God. Now, we're not exactly sure what the Israel's sins were, what they actually did. Zechariah was uh, the prophet. He was a contemporary of the prophet Haggai. And in Haggai's time, God's biggest concern was the rebuilding of the temple because the people of Israel, they had just come back uh, to Israel. They'd been in exile uh, for many, many years. And so maybe it was because of the, their failure or their slowness in rebuilding the temple, or maybe it was because of idolatry. Who knows really for sure, but Zechariah is saying, you are filthy. You are dirty. Now, some of us here are saying, uh, it's been a while since you've been in the church, and you're asking, well, what's the big deal? I mean, their clothes were dirty. I thought, you know, God's not going to be that petty. Uh, I show up to church casually all the time, right? Well, that's because in our culture, we don't dress formally for worship because we live in a culture that doesn't really place a high value on spiritual things. But think about this. If you were invited to a dinner by the President of the United States, would you come in shorts? Would you come in jeans? 
Would you come in joggers? The first thing that you ask is, oh my gosh, I mean, like, what do I wear? Why? Because we all want to appear acceptable. And here's Joshua, the high priest, and he's standing in front of the king of the universe, and he's not dressed right. That's what this passage is talking about. Zechariah is saying, you are filthy. You are unrighteous. The other word for righteousness is to be acceptable. You are not acceptable. It means to be right relationally with somebody, to be acceptable to those people. And Zechariah is showing us that all of us have a problem with whether or not we are really acceptable to God. He's showing us that. We wear, we have filthy clothes. Now it goes like this. One day, let's say somebody calls you up. And they say, as it turns out, I represent your university, your school, your college. As it turns out, you never officially submitted that one poli-sci paper, the political science paper, during your sophomore year. And so you're actually disqualified for the scholarship that you earned. We've been giving you a scholarship all these years, all those years. You actually owe the university $150,000. And because of this, you actually, because you never finished that class, you actually earned an incomplete for the course. So we're going to revoke your college graduation for now. And because of that, your graduate school, whom we contacted, right, they're revoking your master's degree, and everything cascades from there. The promotion that you were due is now on hold because you actually never finished school. And your job, your career may be on the line. It's in question for sure. And because of that, now your spouse says, well, I've been living a lie all my life. You've been lying to me. They feel like they're married into a lie, and so they want to leave you. And the courts want to take your children away because you are clearly not able and capable of running this home. You can't pay your bills even for your car. And now, because you owe that big debt, $150,000, the government is looking at you, and they may actually sue you. The school may sue you because you are a fraud. Now, by the way, they're also saying, and on top of that, you smell bad, right? You know what, that's a ridiculous story, right? But you know what imposter syndrome is, right? That dreadful feeling that one day you're going to be found out for the fraud that you really are. Everyone goes through that. Everyone goes through something like it. You know why? Because deep inside, we all want to be acceptable. We're looking for righteousness. We need righteousness. And deep inside, we know, deep inside, you know you're a fraud. Deep inside, you know that you're not acceptable. So here's God, he's the judge, and here's you, and you are filthy. But that's not all. Satan is standing right there, and he's accusing you, and he's prosecuting you. In fact, the word Satan actually is a derivative of the word accuser, and he's a good prosecutor. Day and night before the king of the universe, he's a good prosecutor, he's good at what he does. And I know, I mean, we live in modern times, so words like Satan, words like the devil, right? They seem primitive to us today, but he exists. He is real, and that's what he does. He's constantly accusing you. Even if you don't think that the notion of Satan, that you feel like it's an ancient word, don't dismiss Satan too quickly because every time you watch that makeup commercial, every time you watch that acne commercial, every time you watch that gym advertisement, Every time you miss that shot playing basketball or you miss that shot playing tennis or pickleball nowadays, right? And, and your friend makes it every time. Every time you look at the price of Bitcoin, 
And you say to yourself, gosh, I should have gotten in in 2012 or I should have gotten out in 2021, right? Every time somebody gets engaged and it makes you sad, every Valentine's Day, that loneliness creeps in. I mean, it's in your dreams, it's in conversations, it's in your prayers, the reminders of your failures, day in and day out. It's why we have so many memories, all those memories of our past guilt and our past sins, and we're accused. I mean, they're not just memories. It's like it happened yesterday. It's so vivid in our minds. You know why? All day, every day, we know there is a court, a cosmic court. There is a trial. We are on trial every day. Every day you get up and you go to work. You know why we have the Sunday scaries? You know what those are, right? That depression that kind of sets in on Sunday evening because you're getting ready for work the next day because you know you are on trial. Every day you got to face the day, the next day, over and over and over. There is a court. You are on trial. There are standards, and you are accused. There's constant noise. Constant noise in our hearts, in our heads, accusations every day in our lives. They're like frequencies on a radio, and your conscience, it picks it up like, 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 uh, like vivid memories, vivid memories of your failure. And we do a lot every day to jam those frequencies, don't we? So we don't have to pick up those signals because those signals, once they get a hold of you, it will bring you down. We go to therapy. We have medication. We drink alcohol. There are tons of diversions. There are parties we try to crowd out and crowd over the noise. We have kids and we try to, to divert our attention all the time. We watch TV. I mean, Netflix is, is the reason why they have a business is because of the diversions, right? With all that noise, all the other frequencies, but here's the thing and let me speak to you like an older person let me speak to you like a wiser voice of reason in your life as you get older those diversions they die out you run out of gas you run out of energy you're trying to maintain and you're trying to crowd out the noise you can't that noise those signals they become even louder it's why I mean look I'm a pastor and as a pastor I get to hear from older people who are near death they say all sorts of things but one of the most common things that they say is what at the end of the day, at the end of the week, at the end of the month, at the end of the year, at the end of your life, you look back and you say, I lived a terrible life. I should have done this. I should have done that, we say. Regret. I mean, come on, you knew this, right? You knew this. You knew this since 10th grade when you read Lady Macbeth. William Shakespeare, you read Macbeth, right? The husband killed the king because of her. And that guilt was driving Lady Macbeth insane. And so what do you see? You see that one scene where she's trying to wash the blood of the conspiracy off her hands. She says, out, damn spot, out. She can't get it out. We all have vivid memories of guilt because deep down we know we're supposed to be right. We're supposed to be perfect and we're not. And there's somebody, something that keeps telling us that we're not right. That's the enemy. That's Satan. He's real. He's the accuser. And it happens especially in these moments. One, when you fail, when, you, when you've lost something, right? When you suffer, when you're in trouble, there's something, someone is telling you, you deserve it. You deserve it because you lived a terrible life. You're being punished by God. Or two, uh, uh, when you tell yourself, you know, from now on, I'm going to get right. I'm going to live right from now on. There's somebody, something always that tells you, you, people like you, never be taken seriously in the church. People like you, God will never receive in the same way. 
People like you aren't Christians. Three, when you pray, there's always that voice and it, it sets in like doubt. It says, why would God hear you? What have you ever done for God? Why would God care about you? If you're serving in the church, right? If you're serving in the church, if you're a leader, why would God use you? That's what you hear. Why would God use you? You are a failure. Either you are a fraud and you're lying to everybody. Oh, you can put, you can keep it going for a while. It's either that or your church should never be taken seriously. Five, when you mess up, what do you hear? See, I knew you wouldn't change. I told you. You're too weak. You're too weak to overcome. There are reminders everywhere. There are websites you've visited, places where you've been, people that you've hurt or damaged. That's exhibit A, exhibit B, exhibit C. You are on trial, failure. I mean, I bet some of you can't remember what you ate yesterday, but you can remember sins that you've committed that plagued you 10 years ago that you can't shake. Somebody I admire once said that uh, after preaching to a large crowd, I'm talking a crowd of like 15, 20,000 people, you can hear 13,000 compliments on your message. But it's that one guy's critique that you don't forget. It hits you psychologically. It hits you emotionally. It hits you spiritually. I mean, our conscience, what's our conscience for? Our conscience, the Bible says our conscience exists in a sense, to reflect the law of God. But you got to understand, your conscience is never enough. You know why? Because sin gets in there, and it's distorted, and, and it's, your conscience is broken, and it's constantly kind of misaligned, so it's misfiring, and it's misinterpreting things. So you're numb to the good things about yourself that you know about yourself, and you're also numb to the bad things that you know about yourself. And then you're also oversensitive to the good things about yourself, and so you're craving those things, and then you're also oversensitive to the bad things because your heart is distorted. Everything's broken. You get it? You see that? Your conscience is not enough. It's not sufficient. Those accusations are virtually inescapable. It's a big problem. That's the inner problem. But you see, it goes deeper than that. That's the second point. The problem runs a lot deeper than that. Verse 2, it says that Satan is pointing and saying, is this? He's talking about Joshua the high priest, but he's really talking about us. He says, is this? Are you not a burning stick? In other words, you deserve to burn. You deserve to die. You are filthy. And in a sense, he's right. In verse 3, Joshua, the high priest, he's clothed in filthy garments, but we're not going to get there just yet, right? Verse 2, what does God say? What does the Lord say? He rebukes Satan and he says, is this, is not this man a burning stick that has been snatched from the fire? In other words, yes. I mean, he's as good as burnt. If we left him there, he would be dead. He would, he, he would be burning. But the text says this, but I chose him. I snatched him from the fire. Yes, you are a failure. Yes, you were burning, but you were rescued. I mean, you are charred. A lot of us, we bear scars, lots of regrets. We're charred and we're scarred. But God says, but I rescued you. 
When God redeems us, it means he pulls us out of the fire. He pulls us out of judgment. He pulls us out from condemnation. There is no more condemnation. And so, yes, there's pollution. Yes, there could be consequences. Those consequences are disastrous. Yes, there's lots of loss. Yes, there are scars. But you're no longer in the fire. You are forgiven forever, no matter who reminds you, no matter how you're reminded, no matter what you're reminded about, you are forgiven. There are people in this room, I mean, I know, you've been in Metro for years. But those accusations, those memories, the guilt, it's so loud. It's loud enough to convince you that you are, are a failure, that you are a fraud, that you'll never change. And so you're weak and you, and you kind of just meander around church. You're living these powerless lives. It's because you believe you're so unworthy. So let's get to the reality of this. Let's get to the point of this. You're not worthy. It's why we need to be rescued. It's why salvation is only by the sheer grace of God. But think about this. The high priest, he represents the people. So if the high priest is clean, then we are clean. If the high priest obeys, then we've obeyed. But here, I mean, the high priest is the best representation of the people that you could ever find. But if the high priest is filthy, then you are filthy. You are hopeless. One time a year, Leviticus chapter 16, without going into Leviticus chapter 16, that chapter is the central chapter in all of the first five books of the Old Testament. Without going into it, it's beautiful. But you have to see this. We're told that there's incense and smoke. It's used to cover over the mercy seat in the temple, inside the innermost part of the temple called the Holy of Holies, where God resides. You use incense and smoke to cover the mercy seat. And once a year, only the high priest on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, he enters into the most holy place of the temple. And Zechariah is experiencing this vision from inside that Holy of Holies in the temple. And there he sees Joshua, the high priest. He's a to enter in and he's a mess he's a mess I mean how can you perform the sacrifices that are needed for the people's sins if you are a mess you can't be a mess but if you're a mess how can you enter in we already know that filthy clothes is a major problem symbolically but you need to understand it's even bigger than that you see one week prior to the Day of Atonement, each year, the high priest is taken away to seclusion. He's taken away from his home, and he's alone. You know why? Because so it's to prevent him from accidentally committing a ceremonial sin, that he becomes ceremonially unclean accidentally, so he's taken away. And what happens is every meal, clean, cleansed food, ceremonially cleansed food is brought to him. And every day he'd wash his body and prepare his heart all the way leading up to the night before. And on the night before, that night, the high priest doesn't sleep. He stays up all night and he's praying and he's reading the word of God to purify his heart. And then on that day, what happens is he bathes himself from head to toe. He's bathed from head to toe and then he's dressed in pure, unstained, new white linen. And then he enters in to the Holy of Holies clean and he performs an animal sacrifice for his own sins. And then he comes out and then he's bathed because there's blood all over the place. 
And so he comes out and he bathes again from head to toe. And then he's clothed in white linen, new fresh linen again. And then he enters the Holy of Holies again, this time for the sins of the priests. Then he comes out. And a third time, he's bathed again, head to toe, and he's clothed in white new linens. And then he enters the Holy of Holies again, this time for the sins of God's people. And all the while, this is done in public. Do you know that? This is done in public. The temple is packed. I mean, it is crowded that day. And the people, they're watching his every move. They're kind of behind this, this thin veil and they're watching his every move to ensure that he has followed every rule with the utmost purity, play by play, and they're cheering him on. Every time they're cheering him on. They're watching his every move. This passage, this vision, is a major problem because Joshua is in the Holy of Holies. He's supposed to be at his spiritual best. He's supposed to be at his best. He's supposed to be perfect, but he's filthy. That's us. He's filthy. The high priest can't be filthy. He should be unblemished. He can't be unclean. He can't be unacceptable. The high priest, if he is unacceptable, then the people of God are unacceptable. We are unclean. I mean, this is a public disaster. This is a, I mean, with respect to our relationship with God, this is a disaster. This is a ceremonial disaster. This is a spiritual disaster to God's people. The, highest, the high priest is supposed to be the best representation, the best representative that we've got. But here, he represents us as we are. By the way, that's why we're so anxious all the time. That's why we're depressed at times. We're depressed easily because deep inside, we know that we're not acceptable. So we know spiritually we are unclean. We can't get rid of those sins. We can't wash our own sins away. That's why the guilt stays with you 5, 10, 15, 20 years, and it wreaks havoc. A lot of us are still living in the aftermath of specific sins that we've committed and th ways that things have been messed up in our lives and we're still recovering from that, that mess, you see? We know that we're helpless. Martin Luther, great theologian, is talking to Philip Melanchthon, another great theologian, two great theologians in their day. And they're in a debate because Philip Melanchthon, he says, well, we are like this wobbly toddler. Our spiritual lives are like this wobbly toddler just learning to walk and trying to navigate across the room to another parent who's got this, got this street for him. And so we're kind of wobbling our way uh, to the father until the father grabs us and embraces us in his arms. And Martin Luther says, no, 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 I totally disagree. It's far worse than that. We're not like some wobbly toddler walking to the father. We are caterpillars in a ring of fire. There's no way out. The only way that we could ever be rescued is if help comes from above. That's what we are. This is not a social issue. This is not an educational issue. This is not a cultural issue. This is a cosmic spiritual problem. In other words, we really are alone. And by the way, that's why we pursue status. 
That's why we pursue uh, just finding approval from people around. That's why we want the love of that one intimate person in our lives. We're all gushing over that one relationship that we're pursuing. That's why we pursue titles and promotions and salaries so much more than we need. Those are all good things. And yet we pursue, we want more and more and more. And we celebrate these things far more than the reality that we've been snatched out of the fire. I mean, how seriously in a given week is Sunday worship to you? The fact that we are all here, do you know how amazing that is? How seriously in a given week is Sunday worship to you? How seriously in a given week is giving to you? In a season of giving, in a season of thanksgiving. I mean, God forbid, if there's an important meeting on Wednesday, that's going to make or break your career. I mean, I don't know how many meetings we have that are actually like that. If you go on a date, God forbid, on Wednesday night, where there's this important gathering, I mean, we take those things so seriously. We give it our all. We prepare our best. We, give, we pay every price. We want to look pristine, don't we? I mean, all these things, titles and promotions, they're good things. But when we rely on them as our rescue, then we're still in the fire. You're still burning up. That trial is still real. And these are the ways that we're going to try to save ourselves? Zechariah knows. The prophet Zechariah, he knows you can't. And he's about to despair because the high priest is our only hope, and he's filthy. So he's about to despair. But then there's the solution. It's our last point. In verse 1, we see the angel of the Lord. In verse 2, he's called the Lord in capital letters. Very special word. In verse 3, he's called the angel. All three are the same. Who is it? The angel has the same name. That the Lord, it's a special name that God uses to refer to himself only when he is with his, only, his own people. Only with the people that he loves in a covenantal, committed, faithful way. This is the pre-incarnate Jesus. So you have Satan, who's the accuser. You have the high priest, who is us, represents us, in our sins, in our filth, just dirty. And then you have Jesus as the advocate, our defense. Jesus is our advocate. And what's his case? In verse 4, the angel is standing before God. In other words, he's making a case before the judge. And what does he say? In verse 4, it says, take off his filthy clothes. I have taken away your sin, and I've put rich garments on you. In verse 5, he says, put a clean turban on his head. And they did. What happened? Jesus Christ, he rebukes the accuser, and he says, I have rescued this person. I have saved him. And he represents the people. Let him go. He's clean. He's innocent. You got to pay attention to this. Jesus isn't just saying, take away his sin, take away his guilt, let him go. The gospel isn't just salvation from the fire. He says, on top of that, I've made you clean. I haven't just taken away your guilt. I have made you clean. You are clean. I've put a clean turban on you. I've redressed you in fine linen from head to toe. You know why it's important? The high priest, he represents the people. He needs to be clean from head to toe. He's supposed to represent the people. 
but here he's dressed in filth. See? You know that hymn? Dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. Joshua, the high priest, is a mess. We are broken. We are a mess. The accuser seems like he's got a solid case. But we have Jesus Christ as our ultimate advocate. But how? I mean, Jesus is saying, let him go. You know why? What he's saying is because he's not the real high priest. He's just a picture of the high priest. I am the real high priest. I am the true representative of the people of God. So if I lose the case, we all lose. If I win, we all win. If Jesus obeys, then we've all obeyed. Now, I used to think that Jesus as our high priest, he's pleading with the Father, and he basically what he's saying is our intercessor. That's what we call that. He's pleading on behalf of his people. He's saying, Father, just give him one more chance. I mean, he's weak, and you are merciful. Please give him mercy, but that's not a solid case. I mean, we have some attorneys in here, right? No good lawyer would ever come before a judge like that. And no just judge would ever hear a case like that. Friends, you need to know this. It's because God is just that evil loses. It's because God is just that sin loses. God is just. Every sin is accounted for. That's why he's a good God. You, know, you need to know this because if you've ever been hurt in your life, I mean, I'm talking in a bad way. People betray. If you've ever been hurt and damaged in a bad way, if you've ever been hurt in a bad way, you have to know God doesn't let a single sin go unpunished. I mean, there are people whose lives have been altered because of one person. God does not let a single sin go unpunished forever. So Jesus, he goes to the judge, and this is what he really says. Father, the law demands a payment for sin, and that wage, the, pay, the wages of sin is death. So yes, they deserve to die. They de- absolutely deserve to burn. But see from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Look at my blood. Look at the cross. Look at the work that I accomplished. I took on the penalty. I paid the price for them. So we are squared. The debt has been paid. It is finished. By the way, that's a Greek phrase that means the transaction is complete in full. No more payment is required. I'm not coming to you on the basis of your mercy and your love, even though you are merciful and you are loving. I'm appealing to you on the basis of your justice. You are a just God. You would never make somebody pay twice for the same sin. It's been paid. That is a perfect case. Jesus Christ is our perfect advocate. You see, you see, if salvation is by our own works, then you've got to make the case. That's why the status is important to you deep inside. That's why the titles are important to you. That's why your credentials and your pedigree, that's why you're pursuing that. That's why the love of that one person is so important to you because you're still trying to make a case. Because if I get love from my boss or from my company, if I get love from my friends or my family, from my parents, if I get love from my neighbors, if I'm in the right place, in the right school, with the right degrees, and if I get love, then I'm acceptable. 
You're still making your own case. You see that? But the accuser's got nothing on you if the case is, if the case that you're making is, it's by the sheer grace of God in Christ. He is my advocate. Salvation, if salvation is by your own works, you gotta make the case. And you got a flawed case. But salvation is by the sheer grace of God. How do you know? One week prior to the cross, Jesus Christ is prepping. He enters into Jerusalem. It's Palm Sunday. And the night before, Jesus Christ now is starting to mimic everything that the high priest is doing. They're almost shadows of each other, except Jesus is the real thing. The high priest is merely a shadow doing what Jesus is now doing. The night before, Jesus is alone, and he stays up all night, and he's praying. He's preparing. Now on the day, the high priest, he's washed, and he's clothed in fine linens. But Jesus Christ on that day, he's bathed in blood, and he's bathed in sores, and it's head to toe. He's stripped naked, and he's actually standing on trial. There's a real trial. It's a mockery of a trial, but he's condemned. He's condemned to death. And this is all happening publicly. The blood, head to toe. Everyone is watching, but instead of cheering him on, instead of praying for Jesus, they're betraying Jesus, and they're mocking Jesus, and they're hurling insults at Jesus. And instead of placing a turban on his head, they place a crown of thorns on his head. But that's not it. On the cross, Jesus Christ is before the ultimate judge, God himself, his father, the most innocent person that ever walked the earth. And instead of, instead of receiving the grace and the mercy that Joshua, the high priest, instead of the case that's made for Joshua... Jesus Christ cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In other words, I'm clothed in filth. I'm clothed in blood. All the sins of my people are now on me, and now I am truly unacceptable. I'm suffering the forsakenness of God, and I'm condemned. Why? Why? Jesus Christ was accepted. Jesus Christ was rejected so we could be accepted. Jesus Christ was clothed in filth. Why? So we could be clothed in his righteousness. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You want to hear the gospel in one verse? 2 Corinthians chapter 5. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, to be filth for us, so that in him union we might become the righteousness of God. We are accepted before God. And so, yes, maybe you are a stick that was burning, and so you're charred, you're bearing the scars. That's the char. And it changes you sometimes. And it's smoky. And, and the scars and the burns, the smell. But you've been snatched from the fire and you've been clothed in the righteousness of Christ, and you are redeemed, you are saved. What are you clothing yourselves in right now? I mean, if it's anything other than the righteousness of Christ, then you are being your own advocate. And you're a poor advocate. So you're gonna to look to your wealth and status and power and approval, the approval of other people as your righteousness, but Jesus Christ is the perfect advocate. 
tell you a quick story. Uh, Jack Miller, he's a, this old, super conservative, ultra-Orthodox uh, Presbyterian. And he had a church not too far from actually where I live, um, one of the biggest influences in my life. Jack Miller used to walk into these bars, this old man, you know, walk into these bars, and he would sit down, and he would just sit next to these people. They're just drinking away. And a place uh, near his church, a lot of bike gangs used to hang out. And so he goes to this bar, and this guy's sitting there, this burly dude, he's sitting there, and he's just pounding, you know, shots. And Jack Miller says, hey, why don't you come to church with me tomorrow? And the guy goes, nah, man, I haven't been to church in years. Look, God would never take me in. And he starts to recount all the, all the regrets of his life. Like, I've done this and this and this. My life, I've lived a terrible life. You know what Jack Miller says to him? He says, cheer up. You're even worse than that. That's what he says. Your sin is greater than you could ever imagine. But God's grace in Christ is greater than you could ever dream. You ever been part of a trial? If you're the accused, you can do nothing. All you do is sit there and watch the advocate at work. That's all you do. You pray. You talk to your advocate. And you just pray that he's got a good case. We have the perfect advocate. You can trust in the great high priest, your ultimate advocate, who's got the perfect case. And he shows us with his blood through the cross. So if you're dirty, if you're messed up today, you can be renewed in Christ. Some of us, we're suffering the consequences of just bad mistakes in our lives. Look, it's a stage and it's a place. I want to be able to offer up to you, just as an older brother, let me tell you, okay? It gets better. It can. You can be redeemed. One day, the presence of sin will no longer be here. And uh, the presence of sin will be gone for good. And everything you've ever lost will be made right, will be returned to you. Everything will be restored. You can be renewed today. You can be redeemed today. One day, you will be restored in full. That's God's promise. It's written in blood. Now, I told myself I wasn't going to do this, but I'm just going to take a couple minutes. I'm going to tell you some application real quick, okay? I'm just going to rattle it off. So if you're, I know some of the people are taking notes. I'm sorry, you're going to have to go back. I'm just going to rattle it off. I just feel like I've I got to do this. One, you've got to repent for your sins. I know that. No, no, no. It's not what you think. You need to repent for thinking that your sins are too great for God's mercy. You got to repent of being too discouraged by the accuser. Two, trust the gospel as the cure for your guilt. On one hand, you're worse than you think. Can you imagine if you knew all the things that were wrong with you? You know some of the things. Your friends actually know more, right? But can you imagine if you knew everything? Nothing, there's nothing though that Christ's blood could not cover over. Number three, every time you fail, every time your dream isn't realized, the gospel won't keep you down. 
because you got to ask yourself, you know, you got to tell yourself, God isn't punishing me. So the gospel, it, it, you, you may stay down if you didn't trust the gospel, but because of the gospel, you may ask yourself, why do I need that so badly? I must be making a case for myself. Failure will tempt you to hear the accuser's roar again. I want you to turn your attention to the lion of Judah. Listen to his roar. To a great degree, our desire for success for ourselves is to be for ourselves something that only Jesus is supposed to be. Four, you can identify things in your place, things, uh, things that you place your righteousness in and surrender that to Christ. By the way, that's what repentance really is. Identifying things that you place your righteousness in, surrendering it. Don't turn your face from Christ. Don't turn away from Jesus. Turn away from these things that have been failing you. All right? Five, it's going to make worship real. I mean, we're about to respond soon, right? That's why we respond. We're going to respond right now because there's no more shame. There's no more fear. Christ has won, and you are his. Celebrate that. Six, you can laugh at yourself more because you mess up all the time. Because you're always relying on other things apart from Jesus. You can take a joke about yourself. Because it's probably true to some degree. And yet, it's not your righteousness. Seven, you can take criticism. Because their acceptance doesn't make you, and their critique can't break you. Put aside the accuser's roar. Number eight, you will always be amazed that you are here. I mean, the greatest story is that there are people in this room that are like, I cannot believe that I believe. I cannot believe that I'm here. I cannot believe that Christ has saved me. I'm a burning stick, but I've been pulled from the fire. Number nine, you'll have honest relationships. I mean, some of you are not committed to a community group. I, this is a great opportunity. I mean, this coming week is probably the best opportunity. They're having a, a Christmas party or something like that, right? It's a great time to join, right? Because in oneness, we get to see all of us, the best of us and the worst of us, we say. The gospel equalizes all of us because we're all burning sticks that have been snatched from the fire. That's what it is. Every week, we get to celebrate together as a body. Number 10, you can remind other people in these gatherings, that they can be clean in Jesus. It's not enough just to hear people's problems. Remind them that they are burning sticks that have been pulled from the fire and celebrate that. Number 11, you give more. You know why you give more? Because wealth is not your righteousness anymore. You're gonna stay pure. Some of us, we've given up, right, our purity, but you can stay pure now. You know why? Because your relationship doesn't determine your righteousness. Right? Some of you, you you're, you're cowardly. You can be bolder now. You know why? Because the acceptance of other people doesn't determine your righteousness. Your work has boundaries now and limits. Your family, your, the people that you love, they will see that your priority is Christ. And your priority is to see that they see that they are burning sticks pulled from the fire. Number 12, can you imagine a community that is like that? In a sense, you've dealt with the accuser then because people, when they come into the church, 
they sense the beauty of God here. God is present and he's doing something amazing. I mean, we experience that week in and week out here at Metro. But that's what this season's about. The king is coming. The king has come. He is near. Let's embrace that today. Let's pray together.